Welcome to Longview Baptist Church. Where will you spend your eternity? This is a question that does have an answer, even if you don't know what it is. I am Pastor John. This ministry is designed to prepare you for that day we will all face, our last. Join us as we find an answer to the tough questions. And remember, you cannot truly live until you're truly ready to die. Chapter 18. Anybody like Psalms? I hope you do. They're really good. You know, there's all kinds of different Psalms. There's Psalms of Ascent, Psalms of Descent. Um, I guess we could go into a study on all of that. But tonight's message is titled, My Anchor. And this is the type of scripture I like to memorize when it comes to spiritual warfare. Um, the enemy, when he likes to attack us, he will come at us from the standpoint of trying to get us to undermine our belief in the fact that God is going to deliver, provide, protect. We can, you know, every aspect of life, you can go into how he operates, and he always comes in with doubt, seeds of doubt, and if those are not dealt with, those seeds of doubt grow into full adult children, fear, unbelief, and a lot of different things they do. So I think it's important. Um, I, I will actually repeat this a lot. Lord, you're my rock, my stronghold. My, I, I, I love these. And I think they're really encouraging to us because ultimately tonight, what the reiteration that we all need to remember is he is our anchor. He is our rock. He is our fortress. He's our strong tower. God is our everything. We have nothing apart from him. It doesn't matter what the government promises you, I assure you, they've got nothing on what God can do. And the reason that our nation has still not been completely obliterated is because there's a remnant that God has, for whatever his purpose and reason for, has protected us from the final obliteration and judgment, which I personally, if you were asked me, that God should have done years ago. You cannot kill millions and millions and millions of babies a year and believe that there's not going to be consequences for it. And we know that that started back in 1973, correct? Don't think for a moment that when Scripture talks about the blood of the innocent, now I'm going back in the Old Testament, Old Covenant, what does God say the blood will do? It cries out from the ground. We know that from the first engagement of murder that ever occurred, Cain and Abel. And we know that the blood cries out from the ground and scripture talks about that and that there's going to be an accounting for it. So I'm thankful from the standpoint of being a follower of Jesus Christ and recognizing that that is not my anchor. My anchor is not judgment. My anchor is that God's righteous and I pray that all people come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, but I am realistic and I recognize that that's not going to happen. We know that, right? We know, but we also know that God's plan to, and the return of Christ is unfolding day after day. We don't know what day it's going to be, and as we hear people mock and laugh and ridicule Christians as weak-willed and all the things that they do, I don't find a sick um, uh, joy in the reality of, well, you'll find out one day. I, I, don't, I don't, even people who've done me wrong, I don't want that to happen to them. I don't want something bad to happen to somebody who's even been unkind to me. 
because I know at times I've been unkind to people and I should have gotten the same thing. And I realize that apart from the work of salvation being applied to someone through the gift of salvation and they're receiving Christ as Lord and Savior, I don't know why, but I have a real understanding of, of the re reality of hell. I've thought about it ad nauseum. And I will assure you, hell is no place for anybody. It was not created for human habitation. Do you know this? Hell was not created for human habitation. It was created for the devil and his angels. It's a place devoid of everything that's good. Everything. It is a place devoid of any hope, any peace, any rest, any joy, any help. It is a place of extreme isolation and having been removed every good and perfect gift, the only place and only thing that it can contain is heat and misery. There's no oxygen there. There's no light. It, remember, it's devoid of every good and perfect gift. So tonight, though, I am thankful that we have an anchor that we have a rock, that we have a fortress. And I think it's encouraging when we're being attacked by the, the emissaries of hell and the demons and the demonic, remember, Christians aren't possessed, they are oppressed. Oppression is external. Possession of a Christian cannot happen because light and darkness hath no fellowship. You would not put Jesus and a demon in the same room, would you? What happens? The demons have to go. Amen? Jesus ain't running nowhere. They've got to go. So when you even see the interaction with Jesus, with someone who is demonically possessed, the demons would cry out. Wouldn't they? One time I remember in particular, it says, are you here to torment us before the allotted time? What does that show? It shows that they know that their time is limited and that it wasn't time for that, and they were wondering if Jesus was there simply to torment them. It's interesting that they would say, are you here to torment us? Because Jesus brings hope. But people that are like them and like the enemy, they have made their decision, and they're standing with it and sticking to it, and they know what the ultimate outcome is going to be, and it's just so sad. And I pray tonight that this encourages you to be on the rock, be in the rock, but the anchor that we steadfastly, I'd, I'd encourage you to write these scriptures down tonight. Commit them to memory. This is great ammunition with which to fire back when the enemy comes at you the same way Jesus did during the temptation narrative. And it's, it's just, to me, it's just power. It's the power of God, the power of God's word. We're going to look at verses 1 through 3, and I hope you're physically able tonight. Let's stand out of reverence for the reading of God's word. I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock where I seek refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I was saved from my enemies. Father, thank you, Lord, tonight for your word, God. Thank you for the promise of it, the hope of it, the truth of it. God, I pray you'd hide me behind the cross tonight, Lord, so that you may move in hearts as only you can. God, you are our everything. And Lord, we commit all this to you. May you alone be glorified. And we ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Anybody know the song that this, uh, that's taken from this Psalm chapter 18? 
who is worthy to be praised? So shall I be saved from my enemies. The Lord liveth, and blessed be the rock, and let the God of my salvation be exalted. Some of you know? The Lord liveth, and blessed be the rock. I'm going to ask Eddie to let us sing that, because there's parts to that. Remember that? You have harmonized in parts? But that's a great, that's taken off of Psalm 18, just so you know if you didn't know that. Uh, verse 1 again, though. I love you, Lord, my strength. Wow, what awesome truth in that first, I love you, Lord, great. We understand that part. What does that say? Lord, my strength. Is God your strength? First thing I want to ask you tonight is, do you love the Lord? Do you love the Lord? Now, John chapter 14, verse 15, gives a good statement if you say you love the Lord. If you love me, you will do what I command. So do you love the Lord? If you are, are you living a life to honor and glorify Him? Because if you say you love the Lord, but you're not obedient to Scripture, if you do not spend time in Scripture and in His Word, if you're not desiring and then doing the activity to get yourself in his presence, do you love him? Then why don't you keep his commandments? He said to hide God's word in your heart. Scripture says that. So if you love the Lord, but yet your act of obedience is disobedience, you are in a, what are you? You really honestly are going to step back. Now, I'd be, I would encourage you to step back and do an introspective look at your life, do you really love him? Do you? If you do, you will do what he asks you to do, commands us to do, what he challenges us to do in God's word. Because you wouldn't go to your spouse and directly in complete contradiction everything and anything that they do not spend any time with them, not want to be at home. You go up to the bowling alley or you go up to the pool hall and shoot pool all night, show up when you desire to be home, but then profess your undying love for your family? Really? Well, that's going to go over like a lead balloon, isn't it? That's not conducive to demonstrating the love that you say you have. And the same thing is true for the Lord. But God, guess what? We're all failures. We, we've all messed up, haven't we? There's not a person in here that's never not messed up in some respect. If you've been married more than a few days, <laughs> amen, you've messed up in some respect. God has never. So God deserves everything. He is the God who has never break, broken a covenantal promise to us ever. God has never broken a covenantal promise to us does he not deserve our unyielding and an undying, passionate love for him? Does he not deserve to be jealous for us? If we love him, why don't we keep his commandments? Why don't we honor him? Why don't we glorify him with our lives? Why don't we step back and say, God, how can I live a life that the world will see Christ lived out in my life, not just in word, but in the life that I live and the, the life that I profess to so many people that I have and am in as a Christian. And then uh, verse uh, two, <clears throat> the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock where I seek refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation. What an awesome, we could spend 
weeks on that one there, going through each of the attributes that it's talking about there. But number two when it has, is this question, is the Lord your only anchor? Why do I say the only anchor? Well, we are a, a society that's been taught a lot about apps, apps on a phone. You know, we have apps on the phone, and we think those apps, those apps are the things that we have gotten so used to. We have apps for relationships now, right? We have apps for family planning. We have apps for fertility. We have apps for everything, don't we? 100%, literally, you can get apps for your car. It doesn't care what kind of car. You can have a cheap car now, and you can have apps for your car. Start the car up, turn on the air conditioning. We've been conditioned to have apps for everything. This is the, the problem, though, when you think about fusing that spiritually speaking. This is the issue. A lot of people have been sold a bill of goods and have been sold Christianity that is, in the sense, the form of an app. Try, I'm not kidding, I've seen it. Try Jesus. What do you think this is, man? Nestle, you handing out samples? Don't do This is not Christian. Christianity is not something you try. If you don't like Jesus, just go on. No. No, Jesus had to call disciples, said, Choose you this day whom you will serve. For me and my house will serve the Lord. Now, do I realize scripturally <laughs> that there is a spiritual addressing of that very thing? Yes, I do. One of the scariest things in scripture, the parable of the soils. You have four seeds planted in, on the surface, it might appear the same soil, but not really. You have three of those that never produced a crop. You have the ones that choke the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of wealth, choke out the seed, choke it out so it does not produce a crop. We realize that. We know other seed is on the trampled soil because trampled, it doesn't have the ability to grow. But only one of those produces a crop, and that's the one that's planted in good soil. It's watered, and it produces a crop. See, sadly tonight, I've had people that have asked me before, Brother John, many years ago, I remember this specifically from an, an older uh, senior saint, I call him, but they said, Brother John, I don't understand why so many people come in these doors and they go out the back door. And my response came out of John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, verse 60, right before verse 66, Jesus is addressing the disciples and a huge crowd of people and he's basically telling them, this is not easy. I'm going to paraphrase it for you because we don't have time to go into all of it. But he's basically, Jesus is saying, listen, this is tough. The, the, the call of a follower of Christ is not easy. And I, I want you to understand that. That's why you hear me referencing that all the time because Jesus was very explicit about the fact that being a Christian is nothing that you sign up for as just some kind of joke you decide to do. This is serious. This is big time. This is the rest of your life. By the way, take up your cross, he says, and follow me. So in John chapter 6, verse 66, what was going on is he had just basically laid out the gamut, that just threw the gauntlet down to him, saying, this is, this is tough. This is not easy. And someone responds to Jesus and says, teacher, this is tough teaching. Who can, who can handle it? And then it says, and many of them turned and no longer followed him. The remaining disciples laughed. He looks at and says, you leaving too? They said, he says, teacher, you have the words of life. He, what they were saying is, 
We've got nothing to go back to. And that's where I'm at tonight, church. I have nothing to go back to. I have nothing but God being in verse 2 right there. This is all I have. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock, where I seek refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation. I don't rely, you know what, I have to pay a power bill, but I don't rely on Duck River. I don't rely on Bedford County Water. I don't rely on anybody. I sure enough don't rely on this government. I can promise you that for nothing. Because I know at the end of the day, God's the one that holds me in the palm of his hand. And I know at the end of the day, they're gonna all fail me, every single last one of them. There's only one that will not do that. And that's what, I'm, what we're looking at right there in verse two, and it's so awesome. He is your rock. What is the, the significance of God being our rock? Has anybody ever been up to Mount Washington in New Hampshire? Anybody? Nobody? Keska, you haven't been up there? She was around, didn't that kind of near your area somewhere? New Hampshire is? Oh, sorry. A little off my geography tonight. Mount Washington is where the highest wind speed has ever been recorded on American soil. They have a house up there where they were doing a lot of experiments in the early 1900s. And what most notably I remember is the middle of July when I went up there, but it's cold. I had a, matter of fact, I had a jacket on. It was so cold, it's really high up. But I went up to the top of Mount Washington and they have this house where they did all this research at. And, and what struck me being a builder, construction right all those years, immediately stuck out to me is, huh. They've got chains on the house. They don't just have chains on the house. The chains are holding the house down. Because the wind speed, if I remember correctly, was around 212 miles an hour that they recorded up on Mount Washington. I might be wrong on that, but I'm almost positive it was right up there. This building is chained down, and these are not... <laughs> These aren't your run-of-the-mill chains. These are massive chains that hold this building to prevent it from being blown off. You know what it's anchored in? Rock. See, that's what I look at when I think about us being sheep. Remember what I talked about this morning. They don't have teeth. Sheep don't growl at you. Sheep have a horrible will to live. They die so fast when they get sick. So we are very weak. But God's power is made perfect in weakness, but he is my strength. He's my rock. Everything else around me will fall away. You know, we got that little kid's song we sang growing up. It's a scriptural, though. It's Matthew chapter uh, 7. I know it's in Matthew chapter 7. Listen, the wise man built his house upon what? Rock. The wise man built his house on the rock. Matthew chapter 2. Amen. 231, thank you. I, I under, I underestimated it. Praise God. 231 miles an hour. So now you understand the significance of these chains on top of this house on Mount Washington and the significance of what would happen if this house was not anchored in the rock. To see it, if you ever get an, an ability to see it, I'm telling you, it's, it's, you look at it and you're like, wow, this is incredible. But me, when I saw it, it was 2012, I think, or 13, the significance of that rock is what I'm talking about with the wise man building his house on the rock. I know what it's like. I lived in Florida when I was young, so I know what it's like when you're near the ocean. What happens when the hurricanes happen? I know what happens at the Outer Banks. I know what happens every time the hurricanes hit any of those coastal towns. 
you have the erosion, you have houses that weren't properly built, what happened, they blow away. You know what happened in New Orleans? You had the big party. There was a big party in an apartment complex just outside of Louisiana, right before uh, Hurricane Katrina hit. And uh, there was a whole group of people, there were college age people in a, a, a two-story apartment complex that decided they were just gonna drink, get drunk, and they were gonna spend their entire time partying as this category four hurricane, if you ever remember, Katrina was a monster. But they shook their fist at it. Matter of fact, the news anchor came out there and interviewed and was like, you know, you guys are crazy. Oh, at a party, they were already really wound up in their uh, revelry. I remember when Good Morning America went back there after Hurricane Katrina. You know what was there? Nothing but a slab. You know where all those people were? They never found anything at all of any of them. They weren't anchored in the rock. They were on the shifting sands of human arrogance and the pompous attitudes with which all of us at time, some people get in there and shake their fist at God. And I will promise you, when Scripture says word for word, God cannot be mocked, I assure you, He cannot and He will not. That's why it makes me cringe day after day when I read in God's word that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. I heard someone recently in a healthcare facility perpetually screaming about the flames and that they were burning. And as I was doing what I was doing, I continued to hear this way off in the background and sent cold chills down my back. It really did. Because this person was not in darkness. This person was not lacking oxygen in a body that did not need oxygen anymore. This person was not in a body that could not die. This person was in the reality of now. And it's not fallen on me the magnitude of what the rich man and Lazarus story and why I have such a striking understanding of hell when I read that and understand conceptually what hell is. It is the absence of everything that sustains life. But yet, once we breathe our last breath, we will be in an eternal spiritual state first before the resurrection of the body. We will be in a glorified state. When we are in a glorified state, church, I want to tell you something. If you have trouble smelling, feeling, if you have trouble with neuropathy, if you have trouble with anything, I want to just assure you that the moment you breathe your last breath, all of the ails that hinder your ability to either feel things perfectly, smell things perfectly, taste things perfectly, and experience everything perfectly will have set sail, meaning you are going to feel and experience everything in absolute perfection. There's the problem, though. It's one thing if you have yielded your life to Christ and become a follower of Christ, and he has paid the propitiation, made the atonement for your sin. That's wonderful. That's awesome. Because that is the assurance of the hope that we are promised. Hebrews, I love it. Hebrews, Romans. The beauty of what is to come in perfection and experiencing the divine glory as a follower of Jesus Christ. 
imperfection is going to be unlike anything that we could ever comprehend. Just like in 90 Minutes from Heaven, Don Piper, when he's talking about he's talking about heaven, and I shared this with you because I think it's so, I'm a music person, I love music. So he hears, and remember, he wasn't in a glorified state then, so he is there in a vision, and he hears every nation and people all around the globe, around God's throne, singing in their native languages, and at the human side, he thought about this, and he said, in the human's perspective, you'd see that this would be a cacophony of crazy, so you'd want to shut your ears and go, oh, this is, this is nuts. He said, I heard every single voice individually, but also together in unison and understood all of them perfectly. Can you imagine? See, we can't. I can imagine that. And, and I, it gives me chill bumps with excitement because this is what eternity is going to be. Revelation chapter 5 gets me wound up excited because that is the essence of ground zero, spiritually speaking, of what we're going to do in eternity. And it's going to be amazing. But there's only one problem. That's at the Bema seat, which is the mercy seat. Right? But there's this other factor, and it's why I'm so passionate and why I do what I do week in and week out, year in and year out now for going on the 16th year because this. There is the other reality. And the other reality is the great white throne of judgment. The great white throne of judgment has a 100% success rate in never seeing the kingdom of heaven, never. No one who stands before the great white throne of judgment will ever see the place we know as heaven. Each one of them will, the very moment they enter the great white throne of judgment, will immediately fall prostrate in front of the God of creation and, and proclaim Christ Jesus as Lord. Yes, Hitler. Yes, Madeline Mary O'Hare. You can think about in our culture two of the most evil people that we've ever known that were literally antagonistic to everything of true godliness and righteousness and justice, most notably Madeleine Mary O'Hare, cursed, disdained Christians. And she stood in the presence of the Lord in August of 1995, I'll never forget it, having been killed by her own followers. Remember Madeleine Mary O'Hare, the founder of the National Atheist Society? One of the reasons that prayer and the Bible and all this religion and separation of church and state, all this stuff. Madeline Mary O'Hare was one of the premier pioneers of that movement. She was killed by her own people. Thank the Lord. God is able to do some really neat things. You know what? One of her sons today is a born-again follower of Christ and has spent his entire life trying to undo what his mother was. Very sad. You can imagine his heart on it. I've read some books by some really, really awesome guy. But to not get too wound up with too many things that I can't sew up and close up, when I think of hell, I think a lot. Uh, Y'all know I think a lot. I think a whole lot. I think a whole lot about conceptual spiritual stuff. I think a whole lot when I wake up in the morning about people who are not waking up. You don't wake up in hell. It is a reality that there is no sleep that's needed ever. There is no sleep. There is no rest. There is no vacation. There is no pause. It is the realization every moment of every 
I don't call it day because there is no such thing as time in eternity. You realize this? Time was created for us. Time has no bearing in the new order of things. So the old order will have passed away. No longer will there be summer and winter and springtime and harvest. Hell will have the absence of all of that. Those were created for us. But I often think, as I lay there, about the people that I've personally known that I knew had rejected categorically everything that God's creation and love in Christ Jesus had offered. And I think about the rich man, and I think about the ones in Scripture, and it, it's mind-numbing to me. It makes me want to throw up. It makes me want to throw up because the rich man's only been there about 2,000 years. You know what the problem is? He hadn't even gotten the first day of attorney done. He has not even begun eternity. That's what scares me. Because that's going to be the reality of people who reject the only lifeline spiritually that you'll ever be able to have. And that's why I'm so passionate about this and why... I ask you tonight with all sincerity, is God your anchor? And if not, why not? This life is nothing. It's fleeting. It's meaningless. Scripture says it. Read Ecclesiastes. It's meaningless, all of it. I grew up with Michael Jackson being the icon of of my childhood, having everything, coming from basically nothing but achieving stardom on on a scale unheard of, not even dealing with the issues he had in his personal life. I'm just talking about a man that had everything, had everything, was reduced to needing propofol to sleep. And if you know anything about propofol, it's a sedative for surgery. It's a very, very nice feeling. I know this from surgeries. It's something that I'm thankful that I can't get a hold of because I'd probably want to take it myself to go to sleep and end up the same way. But imagine if this was what your reality, you were so tormented that the only way you could get any rest would be to take some drug and literally balance every night between life and death. And one night, his doctor, who was responsible for keeping him alive during the sleep he was getting, was texting a girlfriend, and he walked off into eternity. Now, I don't know his eternal state. I'm not God. I'm not the judge. All I know is from the life that I saw, there was no fruit that was indicative of a transformed work of God. And I hope that he professed faith in Jesus Christ the same way that my hope is that Hitler became a follower of Jesus Christ, repented and turned. I truly hope that. Well, Brother Jonathan, how could you ever want that for anybody? Oh, do you want to think that there's a reach to the redemptive salvation and love of Christ Jesus? I have an issue with you if you would think that because God's desire is that none should perish in the most vile of offenders. I was alive when um, Ted Bundy, I actually did one of my book reports on him in high school and learned extensive, I studied it extensively many years ago before vile, sick, mundane, and twisted, whatever that movie was they came out about him was. But Ted Bundy was a very warped individual, extremely warped individual that got involved in some really bad stuff, pornography, back before it was easy to get a hold of. And actually, before he was killed, he did an interview on James Dobson. Anybody watch that besides me? 
James Dobson, he did a, a talking about how pornography was the catalyst with which brought him to the place that he ended up being. So let me warn you, stay away from it. Um, don't think you're any different than him and, and that the grip of that cannot bring you to a place of unspeakable horror in your own life. But Ted Bundy professed faith in Jesus Christ. They think that Ted Bundy killed upwards of 30 plus women. They don't think they ever will know the number Matt truly who he, number he killed, but he did. And Ted Bundy professed faith in Jesus Christ, talked at length and being interviewed with James Dobson. He did this in the hopes that this would minister to others and that would potentially prevent someone else from going down the path that he had gone down. Ted Bundy was a brilliant individual. You know this? You know that one of the, and this is actually true in, in one of the documentaries on it, one of the judges said, I sure wish you'd not gone down the path. I would love to have had you as an attorney and you worked for me. That's how captivating Ted Bundy's personality was and why he was so successful at luring women was because he was such a great and a dynamic people person. But I am so thankful to know and hope that he was, it was a genuine profession of faith and that he's in the Lord's presence. But it doesn't change the fact of these ones over and over that I know right now are in a place with no chance for redemption. There's no 15th stanza of just as I am that they have a chance. There's no preacher standing at the back door after the just as I am has been sung for 55 years as they stood there callously rejecting the work of God in their hearts as they, they stood there thinking it was their indigestion. It was this, oh no, I remember when I was a kid and they're under immense conviction. And no, they may have fallen into that old adage, right? Boy, the devil's trying to make me think I'm not saved. Wait a minute, you better think again. How many times does the enemy of God put you under conviction to pray to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Tell me, how many times? Never. Never. Please listen to what I'm saying. The enemy of God tells you, stay seated. It's your indigestion. You're fine. Don't worry about it. You're just emotional tonight. That's what the enemy of God does. The enemy of God wants you seated. The enemy of God never wants you to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. He wants you glued to a chair, a pew, wherever you're sitting, hearing the truth of God's word. But who so graciously and lovingly, week in and week out, brings you to broken conviction an overwhelming tearing apart inside that you're feeling that anguish of something's not right. Something's not right. Something's not right. I'll tell you what it is. It's called the Holy Spirit of the living God. And the Holy Spirit of the living God is doing what Scripture says. You ready? No one comes to the Father unless, what does Scripture say? The Holy Spirit calls him. The Holy Spirit draws him, some versions say. That's what Scripture says. No one comes to the Father unless the Holy Spirit enables him, draws him, calls him. There's many ways. It says the same thing. So what does that look like in theory? I'll tell you what it looks like. It looks like us sitting there in a pew, or like I was in the patrol car, 
smoking cigarettes, lost is lost, and God said plain as day to me, give me your life. I heard it, I felt it, I experienced it. I knew what God was doing, but I said, no, I can't do it in this profession, Lord. God removed that 30 days later, and I gave my life to Christ. What does that also mean? It's sitting in a pew like this, and it's experiencing an overwhelming, uneasy feeling about what your life is, and the chasm that makes you feel separated from God, which is what we're born with. We have a sin debt we're born with. Jesus Christ is the only propitiation, and sadly, so many churches and ministries have sold salvation short because it's been about praying that prayer and getting them saved and bathed, I call it, apart from them doing what I do. So I pray that God would continue to give me a passion about this. Why do I want to go sit down with you? I want you to understand it. Scripture talks about it. Paul says, what does he say? Count the cost. Before you begin to build, you make sure that you'll have the material so you don't look like a fool, paraphrasing it. What it's saying is, you've got to know what you're doing. This is not a joke. This is not something you play around with. This is not an app. This is a life-transforming work of God that you don't play with. You don't sweep that house clean and not fill it with the Holy Spirit because you'll have seven more wicked spirits come back and your condition will be worse at the end than it was at the beginning. This is not a joke. This is serious business. This is not a lifestyle. It's a life. Walking with Christ is not a lifestyle. It's life. It's life as a child of the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so, I, I can't, this is, the, this is how far my thinking goes. When we had the old building as I'd walk through here and pray long before y'all ever get here. Remember the old building as that floor would creak and I'd walk up those aisles. I remember thinking back, I'd been here since April, was it April of 1913? Roundabout. And I remember thinking as I walked through there and looking at the sharecropper house across the street when I'd walk out on the front porch and look, I could envision all the people coming in when they had the male and female doors over there in the corner. Men came in one, women came in the other. Men on one side, women on the other. That's all churches were like that. Still should be like that, amen? Put a barrier between, huh? Amen? Hey, girl. Right? Distractions. You know what? I got a question. wonder how many people are in hell right now because there was a pretty girl sitting next to them the night that God opened their heart. There was a good-looking fella next to that young lady, and she didn't dare want to get up and answer the Spirit's call because Why? The old enemy made sure that somebody that appealed to them physically was sitting over there so that they said, well, I sure don't want to look dumb. Anybody ever thought of that? See, I think of a lot of things. I sat as I walked through this church wondering, God, how many people have sat under the roof of Longview Baptist Church, heard the gospel presented plainer than it could ever be plain ever in your lifetime, sung 4,986 stanzas of Just As I Am as the preacher talked over the invitation and said, there's got to be one more. I don't do that, but I know it's happened. It's happened decades in the history of this church. Sat in these pews until what Scripture says, until the deceitfulness, watch that the deceitfulness of sin does not harden your heart. Continue to push that away, push away, until finally... There was no longer any desire. There was no longer any stirring of the spirit and soul because what the Holy Spirit had done is Proverbs chapter 1 happened. Read it. You'll know what I'm talking about. Wisdom was calling out, crying out. And finally, 
guess what happens? It stops. And once it stops, you're in big trouble. Because if you read the end of Proverbs chapter 1, you find out what the outflow of that ultimately is. And I've thought about, one day those people died. And I, the thought is sickening to me, but it gives me more passion to continue doing what I'm doing as I think about and process these things. God, don't let me be off base. Don't let me be out of step with your will. Lord, I know when I'm in here that if I am not on the mark, Father, the enemy could use me as an avenue with which I would malign the word and not faithfully preach the full and teach the full counsel of God's word. God forbid that I myself might become a stumbling block that someone might not know the truth of God and come to saving faith in Christ because of something I have done. You wonder why I mentioned last week about walking up here to the bathrooms? I'll tell you why. Because one night in this assembly many, many years ago, somebody was under conviction. It was impossible not to see it. And I remember the person in front had a child that was unrestrained. This person was in, they were under such conviction they were weeping. And somebody's little child turned around the seat and the mommy was, you know, smiling it. And then that little child touched that man and was giggling and laughing. I'll never forget it. I watched his face go from pure brokenness over his sin. He looked up and all of that went. Nothing ever happened. And you know that the parent never even knew what their child had been used for. They completely never knew. I want to tell you something. You don't want to be the one walking here for no reason. When the Spirit of God is dealing with somebody that's in a pew right now at the place of brokenness about to, to, to make a decision that has eternal implications, you don't want to be the one it's that one or that one. Do you know why? Because you can't go back and fix it once you've been a part of what you didn't even know you were a part of. Very easy to go out the back, isn't it? It's very, that's why, brothers and sisters, your pastor tries not to dress. I don't come up here, and I'm not even saying, with my blue jeans hanging out, I don't want to be the thing that prevents someone from hearing from the Lord and doing what God is compelling them to do through the Spirit. There's a lot that goes into it, a big dynamic. We do not want to be something that distracts, that takes away, that works against the Spirit of God. Amen? Because I realize very seriously that there are a lot of people, if we look at it from the spiritual context, just like, I, ready, I'm coming back to what I shared earlier with you, when the person said, Brother Jonathan, I don't understand. It seems like they go out the back door faster than they come in the first door. And I said to them, John chapter 6, verse 66, ma'am. Many of them turned and no longer followed. I said, Jesus had one out of four. Do you expect a better return than Jesus had? Truth. If Jesus in the parable of the soils had 25% out of 100%, how could we expect any more? Can we? 
Well, I guess if we hand out gas cards and cotton candy and hot dogs and put a stand out, and next week we'll have jumping jacks, and the next week we'll start giving away plots of land, we'll do something, right? We'll, we'll make it relevant and exciting so that people want to stay here. We'll want it, we'll, they'll want to bring their RVs out here and park in the parking lot. One day you run out of gimmicks. You know what happens when you run out of gimmicks? You have no one at your church because you sold them on gimmicks and not on Jesus. If they're not here for Jesus, your gas cards are going to make them a more emboldened follower of Satan and they'll go off to the next place for the next trinket, the next gimmick, the next wave that they're riding to the next euphoric feeling they're in search of or promise for something else. But I'll tell you what happens. Just like I've always said, I want Longview Baptist Church, when they walk in the door, I don't want them to fall in love with me. I don't want them to fall in love with the building. I don't want them to fall in love with you. I want them to fall in love with Jesus because then it's over. Their life is going to change. Their family's going to change. Their generational heritage is going to change in that family. Because once you fall in love with Jesus, I can promise you, you can't get enough of them. What did I say earlier about delighting yourself in the Lord? You want that relationship that's in the stratosphere like someone you respect better than anybody else? Get in God's presence and dwell in his presence and I promise you, you'll begin to have a relationship like nobody else has with him because what you're doing is doing what scripture says. When you seek me with what? All your heart, there's a promise. I will be found. When I gave my life to Christ September 20th of 2004, I'll never forget it. It was not long. I got out of the hospital uh, about a week later. I came home. I'm sitting there one morning. God convicts me about reading the Bible. I started reading. Nobody told me to. I hadn't been to church because I had to have surgery, so I wasn't going to any church. I hadn't been around any believers. Remember, my wife wasn't a Christian then. She thought she was. She's at the house living like a normal person, so I had no spiritual influence. I didn't tell my parents. I didn't tell anybody about getting saved. Because I said, I'm not going to do what I'd done before. Oh, I got saved and then go back. I said, I'm not going to make a disgrace of it. Lord, I know what happened, and I'm going to go with what I know happened in me. And I just continue to start living like Christ from the day that I gave my life to the Lord. God convicted me of reading. Next thing you know, I'm up at 5 o'clock in the morning reading. And I had said, God, get me up in the morning, and I'll read. It was ironic because I used to sleep in a little later. Now, sleeping in back then was maybe 6 I started waking up every morning at 5 o'clock. You know what I did? I took that as my invitation from the Lord to spend time with him. And I used to sit there in my office with the light on, and I'd read my Bible every morning. The next thing you know, God convicts me of praying. So I started praying. And it was really amazing how God began to transform me and to change my heart, change my wants, change my wills, change my desires. He changed everything. He took away my mouth which was heinously foul, egregiously foul. It was horrid. And that was one of the things that I said, man, something's changed. And then, remember, I had prayed to receive Christ and said, I won't stop drinking. But if you're the God that I believe you are, you will take out what needs taken out and you'll put in what needs put in. That was September 20th of 2004, Guess what? That was the last day that I ever drank. See, what happened was, instead of salvation being about rules, I 
found out that what it really is is what I believed it was but didn't know how to get from point A to point B. It was about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And not only that, so God's convicted me of the Bible. God's convicted me of prayer. Then God convicts me of tithing. So here I am, a person that is not working at all. I'm at home, and by this point, I can't walk. I'm sitting down, and God convicts me of tithing. Well, you're not making money. How do you tithe? Well, when somebody would give us money, we'd tithe. I, I tithe. That doesn't matter what it was. I tithe. I told you about the guy at church that came to us one day when we were finally able to start going to church. It was about a year later. They had a wheelchair, and they were able to take me to church. Emily was on the back of the truck. One day, a person says, hey, I don't mean to be too nosy, but... And I should have actually said, yeah, that's nosy. said, do you tithe right now? You know, with you being hurt and everything and not working, you know, you got young kids, do you tithe? And I went, yeah, why would I not? Well, you know, you're not working right now. You're not got, well, what does that mean? Anything that God sends our way, we know that God's blessed us with it. How could I not tithe? I actually looked at him like we look at somebody when they're asking something really weird because I was like, What's, what do you mean? Why would I at the place of the lowest of all places not tithe as why not when you're at the highest of all places, would you not? It's kind of like it was like, a, are you insane? Why would you not tithe? And I, thinking back about it, I'm glad I didn't say more because I probably just would have ruined the ministry effect of that. But I can guarantee you that guy left spiritually about that big. Because looking back on it, I think that he wasn't wanting to tithe and wanted a reason that he was able to not tithe when he had difficult times come. God's the God of the good, the bad, the mean, the ugly, and the indifferent. Amen? Job, in the midst of the misery with which he's doing, says, God, though you slay me, yet I'll trust you. Job trusted God all the way. Now he cursed the day of his birth. I mean, I under, he was struggling. He was literally living moment to moment. I can't imagine the pain and suffering that Job was enduring at this point, especially in light of the fact that he had done nothing wrong. Can we not take the good and the bad, right? Can we not take God's blessing, but also the trials, the tribulations, the heartache, the suffering? I don't serve God today just because God has done good things, because if that was the case, I would have left him the first six months that I was a Christian. Because nothing from the doctor's mistakes to everything else made me further glued and cemented to the bed for the next three years after the first year. See, I have a rock tonight, and I'm finishing up. We'll be done. This is the third and final thing I want to share with you tonight. Who is set to save you when your enemies come? Save from my enemies. The Lord liveth, and blessed be the rock, and let the God of my salvation be exalted. Amen? That, that hymn, that praise addresses when the enemies come. It's coming. It's just a matter of time. You're going to have people that hate you. We talked about it this morning with Acts 21 to 22. It's just a, it's not a, it's not a matter of if, if. It's a matter of when. See, I'm anchoring the God of my salvation, man. I'm not, I'm not scared of any man. You can take away my birthday. You can walk up, put a gun to my head, and blow my brains out. I've lost nothing. Zero. Nothing. Nothing. Am I scared of death? No. 
is a graduation period where I go from sanctification to glorification. I lose nothing. Zero. But tonight, who's going to save you from your enemies? Who's your rock? Who's your fortress? Who's your strong tower? Because I want you to know there is tonight a deafening cry emanating from the bowels of hell with people just like us that sat in churches some for decades. They knew about Christ, but they never knew him. They were religious, but never found a relationship with Jesus Christ. God forbid anybody that ever walks in Longview Baptist door, this is my heart. My heart is to make sure I lay the full weight of responsibility on their own shoulders. Because God forbid that I never plainly proclaim the word of truth and ever sell or malign the word of God so that someone would come in here and have a warped or a twisted understanding of Scripture because I did not effectively and faithfully stand firm in the truth of what the Word says as clear and as plain as anything else. Because church, truly, there is hell to pay. And hell is literally God giving us our desire. It is as C.S. Lewis says, God merely says to the person who rejected Christ Jesus as the sole propitiation payment for sin, God merely says, thy will be done. That is what being condemned to a hell apart from Christ is. I will give you what Matthew chapter 25 says. Many come in that day and say, Lord, did we not cast out demons and heal the sick and raise the dead? He said, I will tell them plainly, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. They will say, when, Lord, were you hungry? When were you thirsty? When were you naked? When were you sick and in prison? And he will tell them, whatever you did not do unto the least of these, you did not do unto me. They will go away into everlasting fire, but the righteous to eternal life. See if I just didn't repeat it pretty close to word for word. Because Matthew chapter 25 resonates in my soul. Because it's truth. Every single word of it is unchanging truth. That I pray tonight, you know better than anything. I pray tonight you're anchored like never before in the, the reality of what this is. The Lord being your rock, your fortress, your strong tower, your deliverer, the one that you seek refuge in, your shield, the horn of your salvation, your stronghold. I love it. I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise and I was saved from my enemies. Praise God. Amen. Say this tonight because, listen, if you play games with the Lord and you don't ever come to faith in Jesus Christ, let me just be honest with you. I don't lose anything. I'm not going to get kicked out of Longview Baptist Church because you play around with Jesus. I'll still have my family if you surround with Jesus and never come to saving faith in Christ. I'll get in my car and go home. I'll be sad if I know it. It'll make me sad that you have been the fool that is trying to keep what you're going to lose and in, the, in doing that, lose what you could keep. That's what I know. It makes me sad for you, but it ultimately I lose nothing if you do not heed the loving call of Christ to be regenerated. What is regenerated? I'll tell you what it is. You can look back at that day. You might not know. You know it was May 12th. I hope you know that. But if not, you're going to go in the summer of 2000, whatever. I was lost, and I know. I placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ because I knew I was a sinner in need of a Savior. 
And I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt there was nothing going to hold me back from professing faith, confessing my sin, and asking Christ Jesus to be the Savior and Lord of my life. And I followed in believers' baptism because I literally wanted nothing more than to show the world that I was lost but now I'm found, was blind but now I see. And I want nothing more than to live for him. You're not going to go, well, I don't know. I, th- I think it was when I was a kid. My mom told me it was when I was little. Even as a kid, you'll know that better than you do as an adult. I'll be honest with you. God well, encourage you to do what Scripture says. Examine yourselves. See if you're in the faith. And I'm going to do my famous Sunday night thing, okay? I want you to go home, and I want you to lay in bed, and I want you to think about it tonight. Not only do I want to think, you to think about yourself and your spiritual condition, but I want you to think about all the ones that have ever been in this church body or anywhere that you've ever known that potentially did not know Christ. And I want you to imagine what it would be like to be in a godless hell separated from the creator that loved you and did everything in his power to redeem you. And imagine the moment you stand there with the stark realization that everything that I ever said or God's word said that I said and lined up with that, let's leave it at that. Every ounce of truth was truth, whether you believed it or not. And imagine the horror of hearing those words. I can't. But why do I want you to do that? Because it's that important. But more importantly, Jesus died. Let's pray. Father, thank you, God, tonight. Thank you for joining us today. We pray that God's word has encouraged you. You feel like you've had fellowship and been at home with family. Today, if God has moved in your heart, and today you would like to make him not only the Savior, but the Lord of your life, first, it's important to know that we are sinners. We're born sinners. No one can bridge the gap that was separated when sin broke what God had created so beautifully. If today you know you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and you know that Jesus Christ was born, lived a sinless life, and died on the cross to pay for your sin, Today, if you want to, you can trust him as your Lord and Savior. It requires you to pray and in faith, ask him to save you, to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you, and you want to live for him. I pray today, if you do that, that you will reach out to us. We would love to get you connected in a church body, a church home, wherever that might be, and get discipleship around you so you can grow in this new life that you found in Christ. Read God's word. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. God bless you.